Hey, everybody, this is Patriot. Now, before we begin the show tonight, I just want to say a couple of words on behalf of the sponsor that I'm working with to help folks get out of the stock market and into precious metals as far as their 401k and their retirement accounts. Now, we all know that the de-dollarization process is accelerating with every passing day. We've seen a historic year in terms of bank closures, starting with Silicon Valley Bank. Just recently, it was announced that in one week, 64 brick and mortar locations and these are all subsidiaries and branches of the big Wall Street banks like PNC, J.P. Morgan Chase, Wells Fargo, Bank of America. They're all consolidating. They're selling off their brick and mortar locations. They're getting ready for this big black swan event that all of us have been anticipating. And we all know, folks, that this trend that we've been seeing happening all over the world, this de-dollarization process is only going to accelerate into 2024. And so we have a narrow opportunity to get out of the rig stock market casino and to take all of the wealth that we've spent an entire lifetime earning and accumulating and protect it with precious metals. Not only that, we're seeing gold and silver prices hitting new highs. My suspicion is we're going to see that trend continue and that glass ceiling that the cabal has suppressed precious metals with is going to break very, very soon. So not only are you going to be in a position to protect your wealth, you're also going to be in a position in my view, to profit from this very wise move. So I highly urge everybody out there to click that link in the description for patriotundergroundgold.com. You'll see how easy this process is, folks. This is an incredible company that I'm working with. I only bring the best to my audience. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. God bless and Godspeed. Patriot out. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Patriot Underground. Today is December 11th, 2023. Thank you so much for joining me, folks, to discover the truth beneath the surface. As always, I really do appreciate everybody out there taking the time to listen. And tonight, it is my great pleasure to welcome my friend S.G. Anon back to the show. It's always an honor to have him on the program. He delivers the intel and the analysis uh, pretty much unlike anybody else in this movement. S.G. has a unique ability to be able to answer questions, very, very complex questions on demand in a in a way that really just boggles the mind of the audience. So it's great to have you back, SG. And certainly there's been a lot going on since the last time we spoke. I know tonight we're going to have a lot to talk about. So welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me back. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Anytime, my friend, it is my honor. And indeed, you know, we were just Sharing a couple of sentiments before we hit that record button tonight, it is a very exciting time to be alive. I think that, at least in my perspective, we we seem to be in the final phases prior to the overt confrontation with the enemy that all of us have been expecting. And what remains to be seen at this point is what form this confrontation is going to take and how it's going to play out as both sides are preparing for what's commonly referred to in the movement as the big event, or perhaps a series of events that most people believe are going to lead to the EAS or the EBS, whatever you want to call it, and the subsequent floodgates of disclosure, military tribunals, the introduction of an entirely new system, monetarily, socially, politically, everything is on the cusp of radical change. But how we get there indeed remains cloaked in mystery. Although we can very clearly see, and I think you would probably agree with me, SG, an acceleration to the end that I just described, particularly in terms of the activation of hidden assets on both sides, really the black hats and the white hats. So that's where I wanted to begin our discussion tonight. And I thought we could approach this topic 
from two different angles, and we could begin with the White Hats. Now, it's long been understood, and Trump has made it very, very clear that he caught the swamp. He caught them all. And we all know inside of this movement, based upon the intel that has been circulating for quite some time now, that the United States Space Force has all of the evidence against the deep state. And this has really been a process of, over a period of time, gradually introducing all of this evidence into the public consciousness. And to that end, white hat sleepers seem to be activating. And certainly when we talk about sleeper cells, it's normally in the context of the deep state of the enemy. And we're going to approach it from that angle in a moment. But I think it's very important for everybody to remember that it's not just the bad guys who have assets in key places. And that all of this intelligence that's been continually leaking are from these ghosts in the machine that are coordinated from within Cheyenne Mountain. And as we know, there are several key pieces to this puzzle, not limited to these uh, three different categories or uh, you know, individuals, I'm, you might even say, uh, certainly not limited, but the, the biggest ones in terms of scope seem to be the following. We know that John McAfee has or had, depending on whether or not he's still alive, what your perspective is on that, 32 terabytes of data connecting the three-letter agencies, big tech, mainstream media, all the usual suspects directly to Jeffrey Epstein and the pedophile blackmailing ring. We also know that Julian Assange is a very key piece of this puzzle as well. And I found it very interesting, the comments that Elon Musk made recently having to do with that fake New York Post headline that uh, brought Pizzagate back into the news at the very same time that we're starting to hear more and more information about information surfacing on who actually murdered Seth Rich and what, well, actually, I don't know if we're going to get to that immediately, but certainly the contents of his laptop, a, a judge in Texas ruled that a timeline had to be presented to reveal all of that information to the public. And certainly we know that Julian Assange and WikiLeaks were, were the, the driving force that put the whole Pizzagate story out there to begin with, which revealed this elite satanic agenda. And, of course, all of the unspeakable acts that they're engaged in. And then, of course, we have the Hunter Biden laptop, which, amongst other things, exposes the Biden crime family, the deep state military collusion with big tech, the covid depopulation agenda. It really connects all the dots of the various deep state criminal and really satanic organizations. And not only that, in the information space, we have Tucker Carlson, we have Elon Musk, we have uh, Joe Rogan and Alex Jones, who was actually just put back on X, as I'm sure you know, pushing all of this information, using their massive audiences to push this information into the consciousness of the masses. Like I said, that's been really what's been going on in large part these past few years. So having said all that, we've got these congressional investigations. And my view is that all of the information that I just talked about is eventually going to be presented to the public via these congressional in, uh, investigations. So do you agree with that general assessment that we have these, for lack of a better term, white hat sleepers activating? And do you see this leading, all of this leading toward overt military intervention? What, what's your thought on that? You know, my so my thoughts on that, and I appreciate the introduction and the good context and basis for the question, because this is a really nebulous issue, right? How do you tie an endless spider web together? 
Um, the digital cyberspace is the main and most obvious way to do that. But Q tells us that it has to be done right, right? It has to be done by the book. Um, it must go through the courts. Um, and so what, I think with everything that we've talked about, John McAfee, Julian Assange, the hidden memos from the Obama White House to Iran and Armenia and North Korea, the sale of the special access programs, the setup of nuclear terrorism, the setup and positioning of bioterrorism, right, which leads directly to the depopulation plan and the globalist new world order. Excuse me. All of these things come together with a few different focal points of control. But how we unveil it, how we do it, and how we eventually arrive at a point where military intervention is not only wanted but needed at the community level, that is, I think, the the Pandora's box, if we will, of the question itself overall, right? Mm -hmm. I think you're going to see a number of these things that you've just talked about played out in the public law space. Julian Assange has a public trial scheduled, um, or excuse me, not a trial, but is attempting to be extradited for trial right now. And we don't know how that's going to play out, whether it will be televised or not. YouTube has agreed to host and televise the Trump trials, and that's going to be a an echo that will, will edge itself, I think, in mankind's history. Because I personally believe that the Trump trials, just based on the information we're seeing now, are going to highlight not just USA election fraud, but election fraud worldwide being carried out by um, what you would consider to be traditional adversarial actors such as Venezuela or Iran, Armenia, those sorts of areas, but also by NATO alliance members. In other words, you know, friend of my friend kind of thing. And so tying all of these things together, I think the public court record is going to be how we how we set up the need for the desperation moves by the black hat sleeper cells. Talked about espionage, white hat infiltration, black hat infiltration. Q tells us that infiltration works both ways. Q tells us that patriots are in some trusted positions, but Q also says problems still remain. In other words, this is an active conflict. Um, this is, you know, we got the high ground in some regards. We took back control of key por portions of the game board around the world, but that doesn't mean that the game board itself is, is totally in our favor. We still have to be better than the enemy is, and we have to do that all of the way to the end, right? Um, Getting them to, to launch those desperation moves, not only to out themselves and wake up and wake up the normie masses in a way that will um, forever remind mankind and stick with humanity about what occurred here, but also in a way that causes them to disrupt and destroy most of their old system in the process. That's very difficult. And quite frankly, Patriot, it's very dangerous. Um, this process involves, excuse me the allowance of different infiltration across borders. This process involves the allowance of different assets to reveal who their chains of command really are and where those resources are flowing from and then going to. Um, this process requires, I think, a, tr a tremendous amount of um, uh, clandestine operation with inside their own ranks. In other words, you've got the military industrial complex at the backdrop of all of this, and many of them are rogue. So that is an enemy in, in, in the sense that we have you know, saboteurs inside the gate, and they are going to work with whatever enemy of humanity poses itself on behalf of that globalist New World Order agenda. So tying all of this together has to be, uh, I think, a very delicate and very tenuous and slow-walked process, right? Things have to play out and flesh themselves out in a way that the moves become predictable going forward. Um, you know, Q tells us to trust Ray. Why in the world would Q say that? I personally believe that the reason why is because Ray is destroying forevermore the FBI. The FBI will never be allowed in its current form when all of this is over to exist um, you know, further into the future. It will have to be either disbanded or completely overhauled and restructured. Um, and I do believe eventually it'll be disbanded anyway because it's not allowed really in the U.S. Constitution. It's not explicitly forbidden, but all powers not, not expressly granted to to the Fed go to the states, right? And so the policing powers of the country fall into that um, that dialogue. 
So this is a process that is setting us up for, I think, a number of different revelations at the mass consciousness worldwide civilizational level going forward. What occurred in our election systems, not just in 2020, but for the past half century? What has occurred with our drug trafficking and drug running, right? What has occurred? Uh, what, what sort of um, unifying evil in the background controls the actions of government? Why are the Democrats on one side and the socialists in another country and the far left progressives in another country and the Green Party in another country? Why are they all the same party? Um, because culturally, we're all different. We all have individualized needs and expressions, and yet they have the essentially the same agenda worldwide. So these things, I think, are going to be forced out first in the court of a, in the court, uh, the public record, right, which also ties into the court of public opinion, uh, yep. the court of written record for history. But it sets us up for kinetic, insane moves to come from the black hat infiltrates that are maybe on our side or maybe still present, um, you know, out on the enemy battlefield that we need to activate. We need to bring them out of those foxholes. And that process, I don't think, is very pretty at first but leads us to a point of clarity, a point of understanding for humanity where we can move forward, express the justice we need to express for the criminality that has occurred, and then build the world the way it's supposed to be built. Absolutely. Well, you know, you referenced, uh, well, actually, I referenced Elon Musk. And, you know, what, one of the things you just said reminded me of uh, the quote that uh, didn't get as much attention as the, uh, the go F yourself quote, for obvious reasons. That was the big headline grabber for Elon Musk. But I I thought it was very interesting when when he pointed out that the judge is the public very clearly articulating basically what you just said, that this really is about bringing all of this information into the court of public opinion. It's not about getting justice in the justice system. I mean, we know that eventually this ends up with overt military intervention. We know, I mean, Q is very, very clear about that. Military is the only way. So I don't believe and I've never believed that we were going to get to a point, no matter how obvious it gets and no no matter what Trump cards, if you will, the White Hats play, they're going to be blocked at the civilian level, at the, at the federal and state level, because the deep state has all of those uh, positions, at least presumably uh, bought and paid for. And so what I always anticipated was all of this information. And I think that's kind of where we're at right now. We're, we're getting into the, you know, the the end of the year, the holiday season and all that. But I think once January hits and the, and the build up to the Trump trial and all of these uh, different puzzle pieces, uh, and all these leaks continue and, and all these different puzzle pieces as a result get closer and closer together. I think we're going to see the court of public opinion is really going to be the, the barometer, I think, is that's the real barometer in terms of, of consciousness. We know that that's what this is really about, but we're going to see a denial of justice on an epic scale. And I think that's always been the point is to demonstrate to the public the truth, what the truth is, to break the programming down to such an extent that people can actually see the truth beyond what the mainstream media and all the politicians in D.C. are gaslighting them to believe and at the same time see that denial of justice and also, of course, have it coupled with, as you referenced, all of the deep state desperation tactics, the false flag, all of their doomsday plans, which I want to discuss in just a moment, happening at the same time, which would get people to then clamor for military intervention. But do you agree with that overall assessment that it's really not likely that we're going to see anything that looks like real justice. I mean, despite, and, and it's interesting what you said about Ray, because I've had a difficult time with that because it seems very difficult to trust this man. But we also know, again, I, I started off the show with this topic of, of uh, white hat sleepers. So 
uh, interesting that you brought him up and whether or not, you know, you think he's actually a good guy, uh, you know, being, um, you know, a, a white hat sleeper, I guess you could say in the truest sense or whether he's been put under submission. Uh, that's, I guess, part of my follow up question. But really, the bigger question is, do you agree with that assessment that we're not going to see any justice within the civilian system, that it's going to be so egregious that that's going to be part of what just causes this massive popular awakening and, and getting people to clamor for military intervention? Um, you know, y yes and no. I think that we will have and we have had along in this journey up to this point, those different patriotic um, bench holders at the community level, at the state level, judges who maybe are not captured and they're, they, you know, they are rare, but they're there, um, who have advanced We the People agendas, who have sought to enjoin and prevent different, um, you know, what amounts to bureaucratic uh, totalitarian grabs for power. But the, but the issue here, I think, is that when we talk about enforcement of the law, um, all of the enforcement agencies and institutions that we would like to fall back on within our, within our republic, they don't truly exist for us, we the people, anymore, and they haven't for a very long time. You know, why are police called police? The root word of police is policy. So they're policy enforcers, right? Mm -hmm. um, they're not peace officers. They're not officers of the common law. And so <laughs> there has been this usurpation in the corporate sense of you know, the judiciary may rule a particular thing, but if you don't have the the uh, local governing apparatus to include the executive and the different legislative officials enforcing those rulings, then you might as well not have anything at all. And to make that matter you know, more, compl more complicated, and as we're seeing right now at, at a national level, you have a tremendous amount of capture and control that has already occurred inside the judiciary. So really, it's a three parts operation, right? If you can't capture two, you capture three and, and you know, and the reverse is true. So. In the sense that we're, you know, justice from the civilian structure, justice from the current system, I don't think that the type of justice that patriots are wanting for humanity, the type of justice that the awakened soul needs, is really going to be possible in the civilian apparatus, right? Because the civilian apparatus is itself so captured, it is beyond objectivity. Mm -hmm. um, the the need, I think, to align humanity at a consciousness level is so, so critical. We don't talk about that enough in this movement, and we really need to. Um, the the unification of certain understandings of certain common themes, the depopulation Nazi world order agenda. Um, what is Agenda 2030, right? The overall depopulation plan, what COVID-19 and the vaccinations really were, um, what big pharma really is and what it represents for humanity, right? If they sold cures, they'd be out of business. Um, so understanding then that these premises are very, very important for humanity to align to and to come to a point of, you know, it may be tense, it may be rocky, but agreement nonetheless in what the basic you know, principles behind these these agendas have been. That is going to be completely necessary. It's going to be it's going to be, I think, one of the most important factors in dispensing justice for that level of criminality that has occurred. Right. The mm -hmm. bioweapon known as COVID-19, the vaccination campaign launched not only against we the people in North America, but all around the world. Um, this is a leviathan crime. This level of wrongdoing has never been committed in such a coordinated fashion in all of world history, except maybe for a, a handful of times. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> excuse me. So achieving justice for that becomes more of just a community or a state or even a national issue. It becomes um, a, a face of humanity issue. It becomes a coalition issue, right? It becomes an aligned 
uh, group of we the people across all nation state boundaries and borders. We have to come together um, with those basic understandings of the world and of reality, but also this idea of what the values that the world needs to reflect moving forward, which which I think we could sum up uh, with the with the two commandments that Jesus gave. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart and love thy neighbor as yourself. In other words, express love and see those around you in the same fashion that you would wish yourself to be seen and that you respect yourself enough to apply right to your own personhood. Um, this process is is incredibly spiritual in a, in a big way because justice um, implies objectivity and dispassion. Justice implies um, an equal measure of punishment and penalty for what amounts to, um, quite frankly, a galactic level crime, right? Um, this is a crime for the ages if there ever was one. And all of the other criminality that has been committed for, uh, you know, really generations, hundreds of years at this point, all of that sort of adds context, icing and meat to that entire discussion. But it is the unifying crime of the depopulation of humanity that serves, I think, to bring us all together in a line us against this group. And it's that particular undertow that I think drives the need for justice in all of our nation states, right? Justice for the election fraud, justice for the bureaucratic control, justice for, for the unelected um, representatives essentially determining national policy, infiltrating and, and screwing over national security, uh, selling our state secrets, selling out our very DNA in many regards, right? Just look at 23andMe, right? They've had to recently admit that more than 7 million, or excuse me, nearly 7 million different account profiles of DNA were hacked and stolen, and they have no idea where it went. Mm -hmm. um, so these sorts of things, that demands, I think, a higher justice than our current court system is really able to deliver. And I think that that is one of the implied uh, maybe maybe um, intangible or, or multidimensional meanings to the phrase when Q says military is the only way. We really do need a dispassionate, longstanding, very traditional, uh, very ceremonial type of justice to take place here or else humanity, I do not think, will get enough spiritual closure by the end of this process to move forward. Absolutely, I agree. And I mean, you mentioned the depopulation agenda of COVID. That's certainly something that affects us all. And the other aspect that I've always said is going to unify humanity like never before is going to be the revelations about the satanic crimes against children, the satanic ritual abuse, the industrial scale human trafficking that I've always considered that the, the three main heads of the snake that are going to get cut off, if you will, when the hammer finally drops and the, the white hats finally emerge from the shadows and justice is finally meted out are going to be covid the depop agenda, the bioweapon, indeed, the election fraud, not just here in the U.S., but all throughout the world. And that's obviously something that even though we have our political differences, I think we should all agree that fair elections are a good thing. And, uh, you know, but it's not as 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 much of a trigger, I think, to to unite humanity as, again, the, the medical tyranny, the attack on all of us and, of course, the attack on our children. Because that that's really what this has been. This has been a centuries long. It's it's really hard to put into words to find an, an accurate word to describe what they've been doing and, and on the scale with which they've been doing it unbeknownst to most of humanity. And I think that once that becomes ingrained in the consciousness of humanity, it's going to go straight to the DNA level. And I think, you know, we could certainly I mean, you, you talked about how deeply spiritual this awakening is. And I think that. That's going to um, be be something that's permanently ingrained in our genetic memory. It's going to run so deep. These revelations about what they've done to our children. I I, I could get into more detail, obviously, but I I, I tend to steer away from it because I get too emotional when I get into uh, the specifics about what they've done. 
But uh, I certainly th- I do believe that's going to be a major unifying factor. So let's let's now pivot a little bit here. Oh, and, and real quickly, SG, just to follow up, do you think Ray is under submission or do you think he's always been a good guy? I was curious to get your take on that. I, I don't think for a moment that Ray has always been a good guy. Ray made it far too far too high up in the FBI during the years where the FBI promoted only corruption for that to be a completely clean slate. However, Q shows actually a post sometime in the summer of 2020, I believe it was either June or July, um, of a of the uh, the official portrait of Ray as you know the professional for- portrait they take after you're elected for or excuse me selected for a position and it had a giant red x through it so that tells me that this was an individual who immediately after the launch of covid ended up caught up in the continuity operations plan that came out through the trump through trump's executive orders and remember q tells us also to follow those eos um it sets out you know as derek johnson likes to say it sets out a blueprint really a design an archetype um for successfully insulating the most important components of the United States lawful government and U.S. military combatant command. Um, and Ray, the DOJ, the FISA court, all of those things tie back into intelligence. They tie back to national security. All of that would have been seized through the fraud um, and through a, a number of different executive orders signed prior to the election of 2020. So this guy ended up, I think, caught up into a position where he was forced to cooperate. And if he didn't cooperate, he would simply be disappeared and they would get a latex wearing mask or a clone or something like that. Um, and carry out the agenda anyway, right? Except they would uh, mar the legacy more than it's being marred now. And that's not to imply anything about Director Ray. It's just to talk about the nature of this entire espionage operation has been sort of these these tier level threats, right? You can cooperate and get egg on your face, or you can not cooperate, and there will be a real penalty to pay for your legacy. We won't do it any sort of justice at all. Um, but I think, you know, again, if we look at what Ray's doing, it's actually in the interest of we the people, absolutely obliterating public trust in, in federal law enforcement, um, <clears throat> igniting again the debate about should there even be a federal police force, right? We already had the U.S. Marshal Service. The U.S. Marshal Service is from a different uh, era in the United States Code, right? And so this goes back much, much further. Why is the why is the the need for an additional agency even there? Who really supervises that agency? Why is FISA being queried almost 300,000 times by this agency, um, primarily you know, directed at American nationals and citizens, domestic citizens here in the United States, which is a breach of the FISA, of the FISA Records Act? Um, so, you know, this whole process, I think what it's serving, what, what Director Ray is doing to the FBI, um, it, it, quite frankly, he's making himself look really, really bad publicly and probably for the history books. But it's going to serve, I think, uh, to eviscerate public confidence, public trust and public acceptance for things like federal um, uh, law enforcement agencies that have really no subjugation, no oversight and no control emanating from the pulpit of we the people. Okay. Uh, all right. I'm glad you you uh, clarified that because you know we, they they say trust Ray. I mean, well, Q said trust Ray, and I think the word trust uh, sometimes uh, can be confusing for folks, especially given this asymmetric war that we're fighting that's really rooted in in deception, fog of war. You know, the art of war. It's it's all all warfare based upon deception. So the truth is something that's hard to come by. And when we hear, uh, you know, uh, trust even uh, is trust and truth really. You can, Take your pick. But when we hear trust, uh, a lot of folks don't really quite know how to interpret that, whether or not this individual is a good guy or bad guy. I suppose that in the end, all of this is going to be sorted out anyway, and we're going to find out who's who. But I think it's a it's an interesting question now that we're seeing Ray, as you pointed out, getting more and more active <laughs> seemingly in, in in what looks like an attempt to permanently mar uh, the the uh, reputation and really the uh, the validity of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. So 
That's a great answer. Thank you for that. So let's switch gears now and let's approach this sleeper cell conversation from the other angle, which is where we typically approach it from having to do with the enemy. Now, certainly we know that, and this is something that I learned uh, back when I started having my conversations with Gene Decode, that uh, you know, he was telling me that uh, when he was stationed in Hawaii in the military way back in the late 80s and the uh, early 90s, he was informed that they had at least one MK Ultra sleeper on every city block in every major city in America. And so you can only imagine at this point how many of these uh, these Mark Ultra sleepers, some of them don't even know that they're under mind control, are embedded throughout the United States. So that's only one aspect of the threat as far as a potential attack of all of these sleeper cells. This is kind of where I'm going with this. But really, I think the big concern right now, what's on everybody's mind, is the border and how that's going to ultimately play out. We We certainly know that... We've got tens of millions, let's just say, up to, it's estimated, I think, 30 to 40 million illegals that are in the country right now. And depending upon which estimates you know you want to go with, it's possible that we could be dealing with two to three million of these individuals who are hostile, who are here to do harm. And so there, and clearly there's, uh, seems like every day now, we're hearing more and more reports about X number, you know, thousand X amount of thousands of uh, individuals apprehended at the border. Many, of course, are Chinese, appear appear to be of uh, Asian descent, military aged men. And so this is causing a lot of concern and for good reason within the Patriot community. Now, Q was very clear that we were going to have a scare event and that, you know, it's a scare necessary event. I don't remember the actual post. You probably do. Uh, he also talked about uh, a sky event. Um, frequently, there's been discussion. I think it was primarily Juan O'Savin who kind of coined the term like a near-death experience, a, a precipice of destruction type of scenario. But he's not the only one. There, there are others, uh, very prominent individuals out there in our community that have been talking about uh, this scare event, basically taking it a step farther and saying that it's going to really be a kind of a near-death experience for humanity and, and certainly for America, because this appears to be ground zero in this fight. And so we know we have, and, I, and I've long accepted that we, we needed to have this scare event for a number of different reasons, not the least of which is related to what we were just talking about, which is reversing this mass, really this mass MK Ultra programming of the entire world that the, the cabal has rolled out over the past several decades through gradually inducing cognitive dissonance. But we also have to wonder, and I think this is a big part of the, the issue here, is that if and when the deep state were to order or to trigger an attack by all of these sleeper cells, it really brings us right back to the question of the division within our military and the allegiances, the different allegiances within our military, because I think what folks are wondering out there is how the military will respond due to their different allegiances within the divided ranks and to what extent they're still divided. And certainly the question of what percentage of the military brass recognizes Donald Trump as commander in chief is a central question because there are different perspectives on that. Some say that really it's a, a very small group inside of Cheyenne Mountain that controls all of the weapons of mass destruction, you know, nuclear and beyond, that really they're the only 
portion of the military that actively recognized Trump as commander in chief. And then there are other folks who uh, seem to be suggesting something very different, that Trump is recognized in a far more uh, broad sense uh, throughout the military. And so that's really part of the question. And then secondarily, are the white hat do we have white hat military assets embedded, not just, you know, in the large cities, but really strategic? I mean, obviously, they're going to target the, the biggest problem areas, but do they have military assets strategically placed throughout the country so that ordinary citizens are going to have to do the lion's share of the fighting? And a lot of this, as I'm sure you know, stems from some of the comments that came out of um, Nino's uh, recent interview with Juan Osava. And uh, I think you were also invited, uh, if, if I'm not mistaken, to the uh, roundtable that Kerry Cassidy and Nino are trying to put together to discuss this and other issues. So I'm, I'm curious to hear your perspective on this and to what extent. I mean, certainly we know that we have to be prepared to defend ourselves and our families and our homes. But some of these comments that were made and, and some of them I've, I've kind of alluded to have concerned a lot of people in terms of to what degree ordinary citizens are going to have to go on, basically go to war with the enemy on our own soil. And I've always been of the opinion and the belief and the faith and the hope, ultimately, that it was going to be the military uh, who was going to handle the lion's share of the fighting. So having said all that, what is your take? You know, my take on this issue is is probably going to be a pretty measured Um I guess I want to preface this by saying that when Q says scare event necessary, what does the word necessary really mean, right? What can we accomplish in any other fashion that cannot be, or excuse me, what cannot be accomplished in any other fashion and must be accomplished through something like a scare event? A lot of patriots have ran for a long time, and I think myself included in some regards, with the notion that this is primarily termed the, this is primarily a term being applied to sledgehammering the MK Ultra mind control over the masses, right? And it certainly will do that. Um, that point, I think, is inarguable, especially when you look at how the awakening has spawned off um, uh, so almost surreptitiously around the world, um, like wildfire and becoming like wildfire. And so it certainly will accomplish that goal. But we also have to appreciate that this entire operation, we look at the continuity of operations, we look at the Trump presidency, we look at the different coordinated meetings that occurred between uh, heads of state and, and national leaders, um, extremely large influential business magnates, tycoons, you know, real estate um, boards and things like that between 2017 and 2020. What I think we can draw from that is that anything being done is necessary in a way kinetically. In other words, there is a real need for it outside of just the consciousness of mankind that is that is required for success on the battlefield. Assume for a moment, um, because Trump keeps talking about 15 million, assume for a moment that the infiltration into, into the United States of America, um, say over the last six to eight years, proves to be somewhere between 15 and 18 million. I think we could reasonably assume, if we're going to stick with the hypothesis, that about six million of that or a third of that is that risk for being an asset to work against us? In other words, a Soros asset, a Clinton global asset, a Chinese People's Liberation Army asset, a terrorist cell asset, all of them are the same deep state, right? You have different labels for the different groups. They're all paid differently and they go through different funnels, but they're there primarily for the same overall mission. And it's compartmentalized. And a lot of them don't even necessarily know that they're working with other groups. Um, so assume then that they get activated within the United States. Well, how can you deal with a 
a, a military presence like that? In other words, um, how is that tracked in an espionage warfare type of way? How does that go from covert to overt? How do you um, track and trace extremely large um, what amounts to you know non-governmental organizational armies, right? These non uh, these non-state militarized actors. The only way to do that is to allow them to show themselves, is to allow them to activate publicly, is to allow law enforcement at all levels, those who are patriotic and will stand with we the people, to identify right around them in their own vicinity who is for and who is against we the people at a critical national emergency time. Um, and, and the other thing that I will highlight, and I think that you pointed this out just a moment ago, are all of the different individuals in our local levers of power that will be for us or against us in times of a critical national emergency. And this entire period of time, this entire um, Trump presidency and military operation beginning during the Trump presidency and all of the way up till now has taken place against the backdrop of national emergency conditions in the United States going back decades. We have used the national emergency um, and national security surveillance state structure as the um, as the the hook in the wall on which we hang the Constitution. Right. In other words, we'll accept all of our rights and we'll we'll operate within the confines of our legal structures, except in an emergency when we all need safety. Right. And we know the Benjamin Franklin quote regarding safety, security and liberty. And so this process in addition to waking the masses, in addition to teaching humanity um, something about sovereignty and unalienable rights and what that is really supposed to mean and what the founding fathers really had to do. I mean, these people were getting shot at on their farms um, by organized soldiers. Right. And they had to resist in a way and come together in a way. Um, and I think we can look back and we can see the hand of God all over the American Revolution. The odds were so stacked against them. It was almost absurd. And a similar situation is beginning to shape up here in the USA. Now, as far as patriots having to kinetically go out into their communities with their rifles and their ARs and, and stand their ground, I wouldn't necessarily say that that's going to occur. But what I would say is throughout this entire process, if we have not learned, if we have failed to acknowledge that responsibility for our own protection is our sovereign right and ours alone, in other words, you know, when when seconds count, the law enforcement that you need are only minutes away, right? It's, it's right. up to you to... Um, provide that that congruity in your own life, that protection and security for you and what's important to you in your own life. That is what self-determinative, self-sufficient, independent living is all about. Government is a necessary evil to preserve public order and provide for the national defense, right? It is not supposed to be our security guarantee. Our security guarantee is our own common sense, our sovereign uh, right as creative beings under God to execute community policy the way that we see fit, um, to pass laws the ways that we see fit, and to acknowledge that we have a Second Amendment, we have constitutional grand jury power in all areas of the USA. Um, there are levers that lie with we the people alone. Q comes out and says that there's a mill civil alliance. Well, a mill civil alliance implies that there is going to be a shared burden on the battlefield in some, uh, in, in some degree with both parties, right? I don't think anybody out there reasonably, especially if you're an advanced military strategist, would expect a civilian population to repel a highly advanced militarized army of multi-million, you know, of multi multiple million cells being activated. Mm -hmm. But I do believe that the largest reconnaissance and real-time surveillance network in all of existence right now is the American Patriot with a smartphone. So if you're trying to help the U.S. military in a time of, of crisis where it may be 
um, where it may be experiencing sabotage act, you know, activation of sabotage cells within its own ranks. That I think comes into play as well, right? Being being vigilant and alert, understanding that national emergency conditions are typically spawned off with some sort of traumatic event. It's a frozen moment in time. We all remember 9-11. We all know how that happened. And to not allow our programming to kick in and take over, um, I, think that, I think that that's a major component in all of this. I've said for a while that there's a red dawn rising moment that's going to occur here in the United States of America because this war for global control, the destiny of mankind, going back to the financial system and the military, industrial and intelligence system, the shadow government, the FISA courts, all of these things, these individuals are going to deploy every last chaos asset that they have. And I believe that they're being allowed to do that in some regards, but that in other regards, there's no allowance necessarily. It's just simply a kinetic opponent on the battlefield who is playing their hand right you don't know where that hand's going to come from you may not know where that funding originated from how do you track you know 10 or 20 or 30 million different uh, mercenary militarized adversaries all around the planet in real time this is an this is a leviathan operation to try and accomplish at the nation state level of preservation which is what the main militaries the patriot militaries of the world are faced with so the, the civilian population then our role excuse me, especially here in the United States of America, is to step into what powers we do have. We do have the powers of public protection. We certainly have the, the information space whipped at this point. Um, patriots are just flooding Twitter, flooding Truth Social, flooding Rumble, flooding every uh, information outlet imaginable, and then sending it all over the Internet around the planet. Um, and we do have the power to resist in legislative form within our own counties and within our own communities. But we, we have to be involved. We can't afford to be too busy anymore. Right. And I know that that's sort of the pot in the kettle with me because I'm a, an extremely busy guy. I have a day job and a family and all of that stuff and extracurricular events for my kiddo. And, you know, just like everybody else out there. But we really do have to take a moment to um, acknowledge the parts that we play and, and really try to listen and divine for ourselves, you know, into it from the Holy Spirit, what God is trying to get us to do. Right. We have a part to play in all of this. And I think that that part is going to become much more clear as we go forward. Um, and the United States is pressed with, you know, a, a sort of a near death civilization level event, as will be the rest of the world. Mm, absolutely. Well, you know, I think a lot of the confusion has been, at least in terms of what I, you know, the feedback that I've received from my audience and really my own confusion as well is that there's been this understanding within our community that ultimately Trump decided that he wasn't going to uh, go ahead and overtly sign the Insurrection Act and do what he could have done, exercise the power that he could have while he was still president because, in essence, it was gamed out. The military, the military had already gamed it out. His generals advised him that this would gradually lead by degrees to a, a civil war type of a situation. So the presumption was that this was a path that was taken for multiple different reasons, but not the least of which was avoiding civil war, avoiding massive bloodshed in the streets having to do with Americans. And, and I think really a central part of this has to do with, you know, why that decision, which makes sense to all of us, and certainly we've had to digest and accept over the past three years, um, was a better one when Trump was still in a position, you know, as clearly as being commander in chief and president at that time, if, you know, if we were going to end up in a situation that perhaps is not going to be technically a civil war, but that will look very much like a civil war in terms of the massive amount of bloodshed on the streets, um, 
you know, how those two things are, you know, are, are how one decision w- was a better uh, a better call than the other. In, in, in essence, you know, and I and I believe in the White House. I trust in the generals and, and in Trump. And, and certainly there's only a, a small amount of the information is available to, to an individual like myself, no matter how much I research. But I think that there is a, a legitimate question to be answered there, because I think a lot of people uh, were, were not necessarily expecting that they were going to have to take on uh, a kinetic role, let's just say, beyond having to have their head on a swivel. But as you pointed out, I mean, I think you said it, you know, and your response would be tempered in that, you know, and, and I agree with you. I don't I don't I never imagined that we would uh, be be looking at a situation where Americans would have to go out with their ARs and basically go into battle uh, with all of these enemy assets. But I think some of the uh, some of the discussion and, I, and and comments that have been made recently I have sort of raised that question as an issue. But, you know, you talked about the scare event and why it's necessary. And I'm glad that you brought that up because, yes, it's necessary not only to red pill the, the, the population, but it's necessary for other reasons. And you talked about one of those reasons being uniting Americans around our core historical values. And once again, teaching us to, to, to appreciate and rally around that freedom and what it really means. But it's also necessary from a military standpoint for Trump to come back, presumably as commander in chief, like this, this event has to happen to be the trigger that would, that would enable Trump to come back. So I'm, I'm curious if you agree with that and when Trump comes back, as we're all expecting, is he going to be recognized as the commander in chief by a large portion of the military or is, or do you anticipate that you know a lot because it seems like on the surface right now that a lot of the military they're taking their orders from the pentagon and that seems to be under the purview of fake biden so if, if trump re-emerges and when trump re-emerges i should say is he going to be recognized as commander-in-chief by a big enough portion of the military in order to combat all of these sleepers you know in answer to the second portion of the question, I'm really not certain because I'm not certain at this point anymore how that return is going to play out, where it's increasingly looking like they're they're doing this to the greatest degree possible through the civilian legal framework. And that, I think, is for the respect of the history books and respect for our institutions, because the whole the whole goal here is to unite Americans. Right. And and even the even the gaslit communist liberal learned in elementary school about the Constitution and you know how we're all free and fair and things like that. Of course, it's been a big lie for 150 years, but that is the basis of the nation. Um, but in answer to what you were talking about a moment ago, I want to actually bring out bring this out. You're talking about um, the decision in 2020 versus you know the situations that we have now and the avoidance of civil war. No, Q tells us that there won't be a civil war. Q says clean and swift, uh, fire and fury, these sorts of things, right? And so the entire Q operation around the world has been a special or irregular operation uh, from the get-go. It's the special forces components of these different militaries around the world that is really the core of the patriot component, right? You've got the different uh, flag officer, brass officer levels that are captured and controlled, have been captured and controlled for a long time. But you've got a tremendous component around the world in different nation-state military theaters where the special forces um, divisions and detachments, they sort of have this working alliance. And that's one of the reasons we saw so many special operations training exercises during the Trump presidency. Um, and those were just the ones that made the press releases. So if we look at the battlefield now, 
as we're talking about infiltration of U.S. cities, infiltration of U.S. borders uh, and states and things of that nature, clear threats here at the homeland, right? The difference between the situation in 2020 and the situation now is we have had time to surveil and recon the entirety of the battlefield with suspended constitutional conditions, allowing the military broader authority to conduct domestic operations. And we can actually look at some of those those authorities that were passed between 2018, 2019, and 2020. Um, But we now also have the, or have had the time to move and geolocate and position assets that are patriotic backed, right? Special operations training exercises like Jade Helm that occurred here in the United States. It occurred across seven states. It occurred in a number of major metro cities. Even the mayors weren't informed of what was occurring in those cities. The governors of those states were not informed either. Um, And in some cases, the special operations component actually drew from the local National Guard, in other words, circumventing the state power um, and and drawing from the DOD level of, of chain of command, right? And so this has allowed time for different component factions that are patriots, that are loyal to we the people, that are behind things like the Q operation um, and the continuity government operation here in the United States of America to move themselves into position to, I think, um, activate at the same time that you have enemy assets activate in those same localities, right? Jade Helm never had a formal uh, conclusion announced. We saw a press release discussing the dates that it was supposed to run and then press release, a press release discussing the success of the mission. Um, but there was never a formal conclusion right announced to that operation. And I'm willing to bet you that those training exercises are occurring in every single U.S. state, not just in the seven or eight or however many it was, 12 that were mentioned uh, in the Jade Helm announcement earlier this year. So we have a situation where um, the need to activate and show out not only for uh, mankind and the civilian population to see, but also um, for the kinetic militarized actors working on behalf of we the people to then identify and target. We need to show out all of that capture and control that's going to work against us during a critical national emergency. It's my personal belief, actually, that the resident Biden or someone from this Manchurian administration, maybe after they 25th Biden and move him out of the way, will activate the military domestically in response to some of these red dawn moments that we've talked about. So at that point, who then serves on behalf of we the people and who does not? The the, mar- the line in the sand is so clear, um, you could cut it with a butter knife, right? And so that highlights out, that brings out the opportunity for a massive special operations um, uh, play, and this is just from, and this is just a hypothetical speculation, but it's based on some research. This, this is the perfect opportunity for a special operations play to move into position and remove those rogue commanders, those rogue assets that have um, that have not already been removed by this operation, right? And we can go back a number of years and see more than 140, I think it's 146 or 147 different commanders now removed in different component areas across the U.S. military forces for loss of confidence in the ability to command. Um, So this could very well tie into capture, right? Uh, We saw the U.S. Marine Corps Commandant get uh, sick and hospitalized immediately before these earthquakes in Iceland that occurred on the Marine Corps birthday, six weeks after a Special Operations Marine Corps detachment was conducting explosive ordnance training exercises in Iceland. Um, So this this sort of bringing this all out, I think, into the public fold, it's necessary for one for the awakening. You know, sure, we can we can get behind that. But it's also necessary at a kinetic level. If we're going to bring this enemy down, we have to know every single one of them and we have to see where they're at and what they're going to do in in a in a moment in history where the republic survival is at stake. Okay, so then a big portion of of 
what the White Hats have been up to, in, in essence, for this past few years, what you're talking about is, is surveilling and, and doing a whole bunch of intelligence gathering and recon on the enemy. So that when the kinetic fight, which it seems like you're suggesting, and, and I, I it seems to me like a lot of folks out there are suggesting that one way or another, it's going to get kinetic at the end of the day. But when that moment comes, that we've we've had the ability, the White Hats have had the ability to to mitigate uh, a large percent of the damage that would have transpired had they pulled the trigger, let's just say back in 2020. Is that is that a fair assessment of what you're saying? You know, I think so. If we look at the process that has played out, what have we been doing for three years? We've been isolating, identifying, targeting and destroying all sorts of assets, all sorts of weapons caches and warehouses. And we've been bleeding the NATO Western nations dry at record speed in Ukraine and in, and in sub-Saharan Africa with weapons and money and all sorts of things. This has been an operation to drain the blood out of the Hydra. But eventually you're, you're doing eventually you arrive at a point right where you've done that. You've done as much as you can with that. You've reached a plateau where there won't be any more progress without getting really physical with the beast. And that process, I think, is developing and has been developing for a while. A lot of people don't realize that the worldwide banking systems, while they operate primarily out of Europe, a lot of the regulation that comes from or excuse me, a lot of the um, the operating policy that is implemented around the world originates in Jerusalem. It's one of the reasons that Israel uh, ran a, a cyber attack exercise affecting worldwide financial institutions in late 2021. They knew these moments were going to eventually come. Um, so this process then is going to force out the entire beast. It's going to force the activation of all of the different heads. It's going to force the activation of all of the different um, component forces that are for or against we the people, right? Everyone will have the moment to choose, but it will be a moment where a choice must be made. And that choice will reflect into the history books what occurred here. Um, I think one of the reasons we've been given the blessing of having these conversations for so long now and reaching the audiences that we've been able to reach is to help instruct people on protecting themselves, on preparing for emergency conditions, on understanding what in the world is going on so that we have a contextual basis for why we're preparing for these things. But we have to acknowledge that we've been talking about these moments for a while. We can't sort of peter back out and get dissuaded at the the concept of things getting a little messy here at the at what amounts to um, the, the home stretch right the back stretch towards the finish line um this is where rubber meets the road this is where we have to stand down this this enemy um and we have to face down this global worldwide tyranny grab we have to acknowledge who the enemy is um, and we have to also acknowledge that the enemy is capable uh, or has been excuse me capable for a very long time of messing with disrupting the unity the the unification across patriotic circles and certainly confusing uh, humanity and pitting us against one another. So we have to rise above those things. And I think we're going to be tested in a, in a great and mighty way with that, um, you know, moving forward. But I think that's a good thing, right? We want to be tried a little bit by fire. We want to have the opportunity to grow as human beings. We want to come into a greater alignment with the Holy Spirit and our creator, right? We want to build this world in the way God has always intended. Facing down this evil, removing this tyranny, uh, conquering this enemy that has enslaved mankind for thousands of years, that is not an easy or small task, but it is one for which we are chosen. Absolutely. And you mentioned unity in the patriot movement, and I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think now we're at a critical stage, as you've just laid out brilliantly, and I think that more than ever. It's important for not only for us to ask these critical questions, and I hope that folks out there understand the spirit in which I'm asking these questions is not to 
uh, to undermine any any narrative or to undermine any individual or any perspective out there, because I certainly am very clear with my audience and I have been from day one that I don't have all the answers. So certainly, I, I mean, I listen to all these different perspectives of individuals out there that I respect, including yourself and, and Juan that I mentioned a little while ago and several others. But it's it's really important, I think, for us to to ask these critical questions, because there are a lot of folks out there. And you, and you just pointed this out, SG, a big part of why we're having these conversations is to inform the public. And I think that a lot of folks um, have seen this coming, <clears throat> excuse me, this this inevitable kinetic fight. But uh, a lot of folks really perhaps did not necessarily think that they would be playing as active a role as some folks are suggesting. And, and again, I think it's important for us to be prepared. And, and I certainly have anticipated for a long time that when this critical moment comes, that all of us are going to be engaged in the process of protecting our family, protecting our neighborhoods and, and, and so forth. Um, but certainly I do believe, and, and you pointed out a number of different ways in which this could go down. Of course, it's all speculation, but that the White Hats have uh, maneuvered behind the scenes so that when this when this attack comes, there are going to be a whole bunch of surprises, even within the military ranks, to be able to face down this enemy and do the lion's share of the fighting. Because as you pointed out, I mean, if we're talking about millions of hostiles, we have to presume that these aren't just straight barbarians running around with, uh, you know, with a club looking to club any, everyone that they can find. They're, these are highly trained in many cases, probably in most highly trained military assets, military age men that know how to fight. And so certainly we would have to presume that, you know, yes, it's a military civilian alliance, but that the military would be the ones that would be doing the lion's share of combating this enemy. Because to me, uh, even though we have a massive number of American patriots, I think one of the major problems in a scenario like this, without the military very overtly coming forward and taking charge, is that patriots would take the streets. Not everybody out there would simply hunker down and protect their families. You know, once these attacks started coming, a lot of patriots out there would go looking for a fight. And not not for and that's not in any way a negative thing. That's that's a good thing, but you know, would have the instinct to go and fight and to take back our country in that moment. And with all of the deception and all of the fog of war, there's a real concern that we wouldn't really even know who the enemy was. I mean, certainly if somebody's trying to break into your house, you know that that person is a hostile. But <clears throat> I think you kind of you can probably sense where I'm going with this. There would be an enormous amount of confusion on the battlefield. Uh, and it, to me, it just seems like the only possible way that this couldn't or wouldn't spiral out of control is that the military assets must be in place in order to deal with this threat. So I guess, you know, I, I've 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 asked you, I pressed you on that enough so we can kind of pivot now. And you touched upon a couple other areas that I wanted to go in terms of geopolitics. And uh, you also touched upon the underground war. Your last file was was amazing. I wanted to ask you a couple of questions on that and and maybe touch upon the the financial angle as well before I let you go. So switching gears here to the geopolitical realignment. Certainly, we've got multiple different theaters right now that are active uh, we've got Israel, of course, and uh, we we I think you and I have talked about the potential for an internal coup. I think perhaps during our last conversation, I brought that up versus an external coalition moving in there. And I've actually heard reports. I think it was uh, Ben Fulford and there may have been another as well. The, the name is escaping me at the moment of the source, I should say. But <clears throat> I've heard reports circulating that the IDF either will be or has already 
uh, been issued somewhat of an ultimatum by the surrounding Islamic nations in the Middle East, either arrest the Zionists on your own and have the patriots within the IDF rise up and, and take control and have there be an internal coup or face an attack force that's going to outnumber the IDF 10 to 1. So that's one area uh, that I think I'd like to hear your comments on. And certainly you brought up Ukraine. We know that um, Zelensky is not in a good position right now. Certainly he's uh, he's, from what I understand, considering a surrender and the, the mainstream media is out there trying to debunk this whole thing. That usually is a, an indication that it's the truth. But even the mainstream media and even Zelensky have admitted that this counteroffensive was a massive failure. And so there are also rumors that are circulating about an internal coup as all of Zelensky's generals are getting wise, becoming increasingly aware of how he's used Ukraine as a NATO proxy force to take down Putin and how it's destroyed their entire country. And then, of course, we've also got China and the Pacific Rim. There's a lot going on geopolitically. We just heard a report that the CCP, uh, their cyber army, I guess is what they're calling it, uh, is continually hacking into critical infrastructure here in the United States, the power grids, the water supply. So there's a lot going on. So Give us your, uh, you know, paint a picture, maybe focusing on, on on Israel. Give us your thoughts on what's what's happening there, what you think is likely to transpire, uh, how you think things are going in Ukraine, whether we're going to see a uh, an unconditional surrender, how that's going to play out, and, and any thoughts you have about the Pacific Rim. Well, that's a tall question. Um, let's go ahead and get started with the Middle East then, because I think the Middle East is going to be the linchpin on which all of the rest of this is going to turn from this point out. Um, you know, indeed, Russia began their largest offensive, their second largest offensive since the beginning of the war, coinciding with the conflict in Gaza, taking advantage of the mainstream media's um, tunnel vision blinders mentality. Right. And, and using that as an opportunity to really push their needle forward. Um, the situation in Israel, my understanding, uh, based on the research that I've been doing and the reports that I've been seeing coming out of that area of the world, you've got a polarization uh, of patriot and uh, hostile that is taking place in the Israeli Defense Force really in stunning fashion, perhaps in the most overtly obvious public fashion that has that has been seen uh, to date, right? The intelligence community being uh, categorically and totally responsible for what occurred uh, with the failure of that border on 10-7. All the Israelis know it. All of the rest of the world knows it. No one believes the Mossad is this incompetent. And so what this has done is it has polarized patriots within the Israeli Defense Force, who I, who I propose, um, based on, again, the things that I've dredged up from the Internet, um, and take that for what you will, have put Netanyahu into submission in response to the war crimes that were committed and facilitated by his governance, right, by his government, uh, the coalition Likud that's there right now. Whether or not this coalition is strong enough when we're talking coalition i'm talking about the the patriot coalition in the israeli defense force whether this coalition is strong enough or not to take out and work against the black hat component of the idf and the Mossad's uh, hyper advanced technological capability which still unfortunately exists to some degree i think that remains to be seen and it's a very very tough question to answer um I think it's much more likely that we see this conflict actually resolved by an Arab coalition, to be perfectly frank, um, perhaps working in coordinated alliance with and, and alignment in the moment in operational capacity with patriots from within the IDF. Who, who knows? Um, I believe that there have been conversations occurring 
with these different militaries in back channels now for the last six to eight weeks, really discussing how this conflict can be managed at a public scale without annihilating the civilian populations in the middle more than is already being done by black hat actors that have activated themselves. Right. And the IDF has a very large number of them. Um, that being said, the, the the main reason I think that it is going to come down to this, Patriot, to be perfectly honest with you, is twofold. I don't think that the Israeli component um, is is capable, at least at the moment, of policing its own self, of saving itself from itself, right? I think that you have Mossad infiltration going back 60 to 70 years. Um, this is just my own personal opinion, but this this infiltration goes back 60 to 70 years and has become really generational at this point. The control of the Israeli government is almost absolute as it pertains to the bureaucratic deep state monster, um, and the IDF poses a very serious risk and a very serious problem. But the other reason I think that it's going to come down to a, a coalition, multi-angular effort that is really going to highlight uh, we the people across different faith and backgrounds, right, different creeds that we take um, – is this issue of worldwide finance that is anchored in the Middle East. Um, the Strait of Hormuz is critical to destroying the Rockefeller standard oil control of the energy markets around the world. Um, the Gulf of Aqaba is critical for annihilating drug trafficking coming out of the Middle East, right? The Red Sea is symbolic for a number of different reasons, too numerous to get into here. Um, you've got the, the Palestinian people, right? And the issue of Hamas. Hamas is just as deep state as the Mossad. Um, installed with help from the U.S. State Department in 2006 and does not really represent the majority opinion of most Palestinians. And they will come out on tape and have done so saying that. Um, so this, I think, is going to require a multi-angular effort to bring down. The other reason, another reason I want to get into on this, and then we'll pivot to Russia and Ukraine in just a minute. Um, Iran is a wild card that I think we're not giving enough credence and consideration to. Iran has generational enmity against the Luciferian cabal, but they are heavily controlled by the deep state right now uh, in much in the same fashion that the Saudi royal family was heavily controlled and influenced by the deep state up until President Trump's visit really in 2017. Uh, and then we saw massive changes occur within the royal family, within the Saudi Arabian government. We've not seen those changes occur within the Iranian regime and the Iranian government. And so we have to assume that their deep state presence and their deep state capability over there is very high. They were bankrolled by Hussein Obama at least a couple of times. They skimmed off or they excuse me, they were one of the channels to skim off uranium uh, from uranium one. I wouldn't be surprised if some of that uranium bearing U.S. nuclear signatures actually still is there in Iran. Um, so this is this is an actor who and, and their cyber their cyber warfare capability is very advanced. They're very modernized in that regard. So this is an actor that could potentially cause uh, worldwide problems, right? If this is not played out effectively, um, this is an opponent that is very capable um, and I think is going to get involved in this fight directly with U.S. forces before this process is over. They were involved in the U.S. 2020 election fraud. As a matter of fact, we have a we have um, evidence to show that in October of 2020, um, the Treasury Department actually sanctioned a number of Iranian um, revolutionary guard individuals, a number of Iranian institutions and entities uh, under EO 13848 from September two years prior and classed them as foreign interfering actors in the United States election. In other words, they caught them in an act of war. Um, so this process, I think, is going to flesh itself out in a more overt way uh, with the U.S. military industrial complex and the Iranian deep state sort of being pitted at one another and told to fight. 
um, and how that process plays out, I really don't know. Um, but this is going to bring about, I think, the end of worldwide financial markets and energy control, right? This decentralization we keep talking about, this de-dollarization that we keep talking about, the elimination of the intelligence community's ability to focalize and coordinate their operations from a number of singular safe areas around the world. All of this is brought down by the launch of hostilities or, excuse me, the expansion of hostilities in the Middle Eastern sector. Now, this ties us into the Pacific Rim uh, in, in a big way because China is heavily involved in the Middle East. You've got a number of arms deals that have been brokered by China, economic agreements ironed out between Saudi Arabia and China for exclusivity with one another. Um, you've got military supplies by China backing both the Iranian regime, but also a number of different smaller regimes in that area of the world. And we know that Chinese weapons and equipment have made their way to Russia, who is a big supporter of Turkey. So China will become involved in this conflict should it become larger before that process is over. And China is already planning on being involved in conflict regardless. We have the Pacific Rim, the Taiwan Island, the generational wrong that has to be righted with that, um, the, the neutralization of different biological terrorist assets that, have, that has to occur within Taiwan and, and all of the islands throughout that area of the Pacific Rim. Um, and the worldwide, uh, and especially emanating from the Wall Street Stock Exchange, the worldwide control of the IMF, the World Bank, the UN uh, capability to influence commerce markets around the world really becomes um, moot if the if the Asiatic sector experiences some sort of a cataclysm and either disconnects or is stopped from accessing that uh, that particular locus of control, that financial locus of control. And so a conflict spawning off in the Middle East then gives China license to move in much more rapid fashion in a militarized way because they're already they're already being called into that on one front, right? That would involve Japan and North Korea, I think, relatively quickly. The Philippines are already wargaming, excuse me, being involved in some sort of cross-islands conflict there in the Pacific Rim. Their, their government is expecting this to occur. And I think when that occurs, you're seeing a one, two, three punch being given to the worldwide uh, petrodollar swift system on all fronts, right? On the energy front, the commodities basis that, mm -hmm. that provides real liquid, real value to the system. But you're also annihilating the infrastructure that allows the system to operate at the same time. Um, it's actually, from a military strate strategy point of view, it's actually really brilliant. But it causes a tremendous amount, I think, of, of controlled chaos, right? It's like, you know, when you land a fighter jet on an aircraft carrier, it's a controlled crash landing. And I think that's exactly what we're dealing with when we talk about the expansion of these hostilities and how they're going to affect the financial and energy markets around the world. Now, I want to come I want to bring all of this now back around to Russia, Eastern Europe and NATO, because I think Russia is going to save the worldwide economy. I think Russia and China and really more Russia than China are going to provide the bulwark on which we can pivot and lever to a new way of commercial life around the world, a model that is truly multipolar, asset-backed, and fair. Um, Russia is extremely rich with resources, and the rest of the world will need resources almost immediately when these events occur. Um, Russia is positioned to provide a lot of that. China is positioned to provide a fair amount of that. There will have to be some sort of structure, and we've seen the BRICS nations iron out uh, really what amounts to a schema of, a, of, a, of an alternate way of financial life and commerce and trade all around the world, which keeps the nations running and keeps the energy flowing. So I think this is going to uh, amplify Russia's effect on the world when we see these hostilities, these expansions. And again, this is just we're talking hypotheticals here, but I don't see any way around them in some regards. Um, 
when these expansions occur, Russia will then be required to commit even more, even even in a larger way than they already have to riding the ball for humanity, right, to standing in the gap and keeping the world from falling into chaos. And that is one of the reasons I believe that we've seen the Russian war machine just continually ramp up for nearly 12 months now constantly. Um, there's no stopping it there. Or they're recruiting as fast as they can recruit. Their industries are producing record amounts of armaments, record amounts of, of emergency supplies and medical supplies and, and humanitarian aid. Um, they're building new factories. They're building new farms. I mean, they're really ramping up to, I think, contribute to the world in a big way. And we're seeing that played out uh against the backdrop of the wartime demand for the Ukraine war, which is already there anyway, right? This this issue of resolving the biological terrorism in Ukraine already had to happen. Um, the restoration of some of this territorial wrong, I think, is a is a side bonus of this. I don't even think that's that's a main mission of Putin. I think that's just going to be a spiritual bonus for anything else. I think primarily the Russians are concerned with their security guarantees and getting the biological terrorism and the satanic Luciferian kidnapping practices out of that area of the world right off of their doorstep once and for all. But now we have the backdrop of everything else occurring in the world, and Russia stands to benefit as sort of a, a pseudo leader, right? A uh, I shouldn't say knight in shining armor because that's a little bit too dramatic, I think, but certainly a main contributing factor to the betterment, to the survival of humanity moving forward. They're demonstrating that in sub-Saharan Africa now. They've been demonstrating that with Turkey for a long time. They're demonstrating that in Ukraine. Uh, the Russian soldiers are accepting defections from the Ukrainian military at record levels. That's one of the reasons the Ukrainian top generals are getting ready to coup Zelensky. Uh, it's one of the reasons Zelensky is out of the country right now and doesn't want to go back, right? He's on a, a tour for funding because he knows that even his own brass is beginning to realize that this whole thing is hopeless. So this whole this whole situation that we've just painted around the world ties a lot of this together when we look at where do we want to go. We have to acknowledge what is the overall mission here. Multipolarity, fair and just trade around the world, an asset-backed way of life that's non-corruptible, and the end of endless wars. And this entire process, I think, when we when we take it at scale, while it seems chaotic and crazy, is serving to accomplish exactly that. Well, SG, I knew you can handle my tall question. If anybody could, it's you. That was an absolutely brilliant answer. Let me just ask you a um, very, very straightforward question. Do you consider Vladimir Putin to be a white hat? Um, I don't know as I would go so grandiose with the ter with the term. And I look at you know Mr. Putin and I look at the record that exists there, the KGB intelligence and all of this sort of activity. And I see a gentleman who had access to a very large amount of the same types of things that we would say Q clearance would have access to. Um, but I think at the end of the day, when you have someone who is who gets themselves into power and really does have a heart for the the people of Russia and the, and the, the Russian culture and the Russian way of life, um, doesn't really want to overcommit Russia to the rest of the world, but certainly wants to be respected, not threatened, preserve the security of the Russian Federation. You know, we have to remember the collapse of the Soviet Union was was only a generation ago. Um, that's very fresh in the Russian consciousness. They're fully aware of what this cabal is capable of doing. Millions of Russians died of starvation when that occurred. Um, that was a calamity, a Great Depression-style event that really rocked their country. And so, you know, Putin gets, gets himself into power. I think that he's loved by a lot of Russians because he's a Russian for Russia. He's very loud about it. He's a military strategist because he's got that background and that exposure. He understands espionage warfare very considerably. Um, and I think that he recognizes the threat that has been imposed to Russia um, 
is existential, not just for the Russian people, but for the rest of the world. Because if, the, if they do it to the, the Russian peoples and the Slavic peoples, they will do it to everyone else, too. Um, and I think this is one of the component, um, one of the line items that I think was discussed between President Trump and Vladimir Putin behind closed doors with no media allowed uh, in Helsinki uh, when the two of them were able to meet. Because I think that's a very logical conclusion. If they have the capability to target genomic weaponry to one particular group of people and you happen to be the head of that particular group of people, one of the first things you're going to do is remind the rest of the world that the capability exists for them to do it to you also. Um, so in a, in, you know, it, it, to say that he's a white hat, I mean, he's certainly serving the we the people agenda. I think in that regard, we could call him that. But as part of a broader operation, I don't necessarily think President Putin is part of a high level, uh, you know, a Q level clearance military operation. But I do believe there are component factions within the Russian military who are. And I think that President Putin is probably being advised by some of them. Okay, and I have to ask you the same question about Xi Jinping, because I've heard you uh, recently, I think, you know, sort of allude to perhaps feeling differently about Ping than uh, you or Xi Jinping, as you do about uh, Vladimir Putin. Now, we know that certainly Donald Trump was invited to the Forbidden City that had never been done before. And that has been one of the main things that people have pointed to as their suspicion that there's bare minimum back channels between Trump and the commanders in, inside of the generals inside Cheyenne Mountain and Xi Jinping. But he's, as far as I'm concerned, much harder to figure out. And, and this has been something that I've been very curious about. And I think I've sort of alluded to this in the past. But am I correct in my suspicion that you're not so sure about the motivations of Xi Jinping and whether he's actually working or having back channel communication with the White Hats in Cheyenne Mountain? What's your take on him? You know, as far as the as the postulation about the communication over the back channel, I don't know as I would go that far to say that that's a thing, although it may very well be. Um, the way that I would characterize Xi Jinping is that this guy is uh, perhaps one of the most prideful individuals in, in the entire world. Um, very arrogant, very sure of himself. And that actually plays to our favor. And I think that's one of the reasons that President Trump, who's very bombastic, very boisterous, very extravagant, um, I think it's one of the reasons the two of them got along really well. Talk about scratching one another's, you know, very, very high level egos. Um, I think more than anything, this is a journey for Xi to restore Chinese glory and turn himself into an emperor. Um, and that may not necessarily be in a kinetic sense, in a political governmental sense. I, I'm I'm speaking more as an emperor in the minds and hearts of the Chinese people. Um, he wants to be the savior of the Chinese people. He's got a God complex that really helps with that. Um, and when and when we look at clandestine operations, right, being able to play to someone's strength and utilize it as a betterment for humanity, even though it's coming from a selfish lens, um, I think that's the very nature of reverse psychology and irregular warfare. Um, this guy has canned more than 300 different officers of the People's Liberation Army just in the last 24 months alone. He's preparing for something. Um, a tremendous number of those cannings occurred from the People's Liberation's rocket division, which is essentially their version of Space Force. Um, this is also a guy whose dad was killed by the Chinese Communist Party. And so if you understand Asian culture, you know that vengeance upon the the parties or entities or institutions that were involved in the destruction of family honor and the taking of innocent life, that can transcend generations and it can burn very strongly for a very long time. No one can hold a grudge like a Chinese man, for example. Um, and that's not to be you know, and a, a too focused of a joke, but it is to highlight that there is a, a generational understanding that goes back uh, much further than I think here in the West, and they take it much more seriously. 
So in this process, we look at G and we see all of these different maneuvers that appear uh, to serve we the people in some regards when we assume that there's an espionage operation happening around the world. And what better way to to wage war against the world's premier espionage complex, which is the CCP, the People's Liberation Army, and the different sleeper cells that they've been building since the Maoist days. What better way to do that than by waging that espionage war on them, but doing so in an even better fashion? We've seen individuals hauled right out of the Chinese Congress in broad daylight, um, public, te- you know, public CCTV television um, during these different meetings and these different speeches. And I think that's sending a message more than anything else. So how this plays out, um, this is a guy who, um, you know, doesn't I don't think he wants to be responsible for nuclear war. Quite frankly, I don't think any of these individuals are megalomaniacal enough to want that. Um, I think that they implicitly understand that that's not going to benefit their people or their legacy or their culture. It will ruin them for for history. It will ruin them forever. Um, But they do have certain goals that must be achieved. Right. The the neutralization of Chinese or excuse me, Taiwanese biolabs. Uh, U.S. DOD biolabs in Taiwan, and quite frankly, some CCP labs that are also there, that has to occur because in the same fashion that Ukraine was harboring viruses and pathogens that were weaponized against the Slavic people and other genomic populations around the world, the Chinese have been weaponizing genome um, pathogens, and the U.S. State Department as well has been weaponizing genome pathogens against Asiatic cultures, against the Korean cultures, against the Sikhs, against the Uyghurs, against the Indian peoples, the, the South Asian continent. Um, so this is something that cannot be ignored, right? It cannot be left alone. And the only way to do this is a excuse me the only way i think to accomplish this and move across the finish line is to prepare the the soil for tilling or excuse me for planting as much as possible right in an espionage irregular way to remove as much obstacle as you possibly can to push the ball as far as you can in the shadows covertly but eventually you will have to be overt you will have to become public before that process can be ended and fully dispensed with and so i think we're seeing a preparation for something like that now and it has the added bonus or the added benefit of stressing the north american industrial commerce markets and especially the u.s debt market and the treasury bond market so completely that i think it will break it absolutely well let me uh I, there are a couple more questions that i want to ask you sg i wanted to, to to touch upon the underground war and then i had a couple of uh financial uh questions some of which you you've touched upon these in, in various different ways tying all the pieces together as you as you do so well but everybody knows out there who's listening i'm sure listen to your uh 66th file, which was was really incredible, I have to say. It was an in-depth analysis. Amongst many other topics, you did an in-depth analysis of the underground war that is raging, or and I imagine it still is, in Iceland, but certainly around that time period where we're seeing all of that amazing tectonic activity that was happening in correlation with the cancellation of the Marine Corps ball. And certainly we know, and on the topic of the underground war, that there are Massive tunnel systems that exist beneath Kiev. We know that massive tunnel systems exist beneath Jerusalem. And we've talked a little bit about Israel tonight. And certainly Taiwan, you just touched upon those. I would imagine underneath mainland China as well. And, you know, these are all theaters that we've already touched upon, as I mentioned a moment ago. But this unusual tectonic activity, to put it mildly, is continuing what in what seems like an, a, on a daily basis at this point. And many people have speculated that the triggering of the emergency broadcast system or the EAS or this climactic moment where we're going to see the White Hats come forward 
hinges largely upon these ongoing military operations underground, as well as the financial scenario, which we're going to discuss in just a moment. But the essence of my question here is what your assessment is of this ongoing subterranean war and how the dumbs and the tunnel systems under the major theaters of this conflict are going to be liberated. Is this a process that we can expect is going to go on for several more years? Or do we have any hope that these operations are nearing completion? And to what degree is the triggering of the EBS contingent, I guess you could say, upon the underground war operations and the progress that's being made? You know, I think the progress is that we're moving forward brick by brick, block by block, mile by mile each day. Um, This area of military operations, when we look at the overall facets of what's occurring around the world, is one of the most secretive. It might be the most secretive because it deals directly with the lives of, of millions of hostages all around the world in different areas, right? Held by cartels, held by terror groups, held by mercenary groups, held by trafficking groups, held by elitist pedophiles, right? The list goes on and on. And it's just a self-serving circular operation, right? They pass from one group to the next. They're sold 50 to 100 times and then they die. This process of liberating them, but also destroying the underground infrastructure that has allowed the evil and has also served as a place to store all manner of different hidden weaponry, secret technologies, um, hidden abilities of humankind, antiquities of humankind, certainly our wealth. And then having the added bonus of allowing them a place to flee to underground while they launch apocalypse events here at the surface, annihilating that ability, annihilating that infrastructure and that portion of this um, of this beast that we're up against is critical. It's crucial. If we don't do that, then then this entire period of struggle and strife, excuse me, at the surface level is all for naught. I think what we can say, and I, and I can't really say as, as far as progress, you know, how far we are in that, in that, along in that journey. I think that we're a significant distance because we've been doing this now for seven to eight years, um, not quite eight years. Uh, and so, in this process, I think that you make a tremendous amount of progress waging a campaign for any amount of time. You know, in a, a military campaign for that amount of time is going to, to gain a certain amount of progress is what I'm trying to say. But how far we have yet to go remains to be seen. These are extremely old, very vast cavern systems all around our Earth, right? They're beneath mountains. They're beneath the pyramids. They're beneath continental shelves. They're certainly beneath major island chains. We see them running underneath enormous bodies of water. They're very, very deep. Uh, They go into that sort of subterranean crust where you have the the geothermal heat of the crust that provides basically limitless energy for them down there. They've built enormous civilizations for thousands of years. And so assaulting that is essentially waging a worldwide war uh, on on an infrastructure that is in some cases militarized and able to offer you significant resistance. So what we have evidence to show, I think more than anything, is that we are winning in many regards that underground war. We are seeing surface level chaos uh, break out in desperation maneuvers that are just cataclysmic for these people, right? They're waking they're waking the masses up through their own actions, through their own desperation, their own um, moves that are being made here at the surface level, and they sort of can't help themselves, right? And I think that's to keep a distraction on other major things, right, so that they have the ability to respond with whatever intelligence community assets or mercenary assets they're still able to deploy. And so if we are winning the subterranean war and we're seeing that desperation occur as a response to that here at the surface level, I think the inevitability here is that we will arrive at a point where the subterranean war becomes a public understanding, 
Um, maybe not necessarily through military press releases other than just innocuous training exercise releases, which is one of the ones I cited in the USMCD code, but also in a, in a sense of uh, being covered by you know, mainstream media or what we would call alternate new media sources right? that have significant reaches such as Real America's Voice or The War Room or other, or other things like that covering the true nature of military operations that may be occurring, but after they have already occurred. And that's one of the themes that we've seen, right? These different announcements about training exercises get made always after these, these exercises are, are, have occurred. Um, so that tells me that there is a component of active operational phasing that's occurring here. And that eventually, I think, um, and it may actually happen out of the Middle East, we really don't know, but they've already sort of set the narrative for the exposure of tunnel systems. Um, eventually, that reality is going to go public in a big way. It's going to tie together a lot of us crazy conspiracy theorists, right? When a lot of the normie patriots out there listen to um, these massive underground tunnel systems that are used for human trafficking, and that's sort of uh, a main focus of this Middle East conflict and that's one of the main things that the the russian ministry of, of defense and ministry of foreign affairs has talked about that they have found in ukraine um when these things come out in a in a big way and are covered by what they believe to be reputable sources to them and for them i think you're going to see a lot of the conspiracy theorists all of a sudden they're not so crazy anymore and you have an explosion a congealment really is a better way to determine a cohesion at a mass scale of the consciousness into another layer another dimensionality right um, so this this process with the subterranean war, it's, it's necessary for a number of different reasons. But as you pointed out earlier, the the crimes against humanity at this level, the human trafficking, the transhumanistic experimentation, the cross species genetic engineering, um, the bioweaponization of pathogens and nature against mankind. Right. Most of this occurs underground and research bases and militarized installations and facilities. And so when people understand that this is true. And that a lot of this has facil has been tied together with this practice of human abuse at sort of a, a cataclysmic galactic level, right? That is going to be one of the unifying factors that makes humanity, I think, sort of look at war with a repudiative lens, right? Um, being uh, being sort of repulsed by the idea that we would conflict anymore uh, when this is what has actually been occurring beneath our noses while we've been distracted by those endless wars. I can't agree more. Well said. Absolutely. Well, the last question that I wanted to get into, as I indicated a moment ago, has to do with the I guess you could call it the the economic realignment, really, that's happening on a worldwide scale that's being spearheaded by the BRICS. And you brought up de-dollarization. This is a topic that I get into quite frequently on my show. And it's no secret that 2023, we saw an incredible amount of banks fail, some very significant bank failures. I mean, we're, it's hard to believe that we're getting toward the end of 2023 and we're kind of looking back on everything that's happened. But no doubt, this has been one of the major highlights, if you will, of events that, ha that have occurred, really starting with Silicon Valley and then moving on to First Republic. And more and more, we're seeing that banks are continuing to fail more Brick and mortar locations are being closed down. A couple of weeks ago, I think it was 64 uh, branches of various different major banks like PNC and JP Morgan Chase and Bank of America are closing up. There were 64 closures in one week. And this is amidst, of course, the backdrop of the hard to even fathom debt clock, the massive debt. I mean, when you go and you look at that debt clock, it, it truly is staggering. It, it puts into perspective the the system that we're really in, the, the fundamental truths behind it. But we've got this massive debt, increasing inflation, interest rate hikes, 
And my personal belief, and I've, and I've kind of, I've, I've evolved, I guess you could say on this topic, but I'm starting to think more and more that it seems clear to me with, with all of these ge- geopolitical events, these wars, the way that the deep state is maneuvering, they're working very hard at crashing the petrodollar in order to roll out their CBDC, which I don't think anybody out there believes is actually going to have any legs, but certainly we're we're hearing more and more about it. It's something that really hasn't gone away. And meanwhile, we've got the White Hats maneuvering, at least in my view, through the BRICS nations to isolate the petrodollar on the world stage, in essence, to force the United States to go gold back in order to engage in international commerce. And so my belief, and I'm curious to get your take on this, is that both sides want the existing system, this fiat debt prison where the world's reserve currency is the fiat petrodollar. Both sides want it to crash, but for very different reasons. Obviously, the the deep state wants to use it to roll in, like I said, their new world order agenda, their central bank digital currency, where they control every aspect of your life. And then, of course, the White Hats, the good guys, want to roll out the QFS, Nasara, and Jasara. So many people out there are expecting a sort of a black swan event is, is the term we typically associate with the the death of the petrodollar, I, I guess, is, is probably the best way to put it, and that being an imminent event. So do you agree, first of all, that both sides – as I as I postulated, are working to hasten the downfall of the petrodollar. And do you see some sort of a black swan event on the horizon that would function as a means to usher in the new system? Um, you know, I think the the new system is absolutely being vied for by both sides. But I think that what we're seeing primarily is a patriotic driven path on that. And the reason why is because the petrodollar, you know, when we look at the petrodollar and we look at the type of control that it represents and the type of control that it offers to the deep state, it's not just a public measuring tool, right? It is the liquid by which they control the exchange of value and thus the actions of people at all different levels of society worldwide. Um, I think if they were if we had black hat actors that were completely in control of worldwide financial markets or commerce systems, we would be seeing a situation where we would have the controlled implosion of the civilian interface to the economy. But we would not see the implosion so much of the petrodollar's supremacy. I certainly do believe that the the valuation standard of the dollar and the idea of the paper note itself would be taken out in that process, much in the same fashion that we're seeing now. But I think if we were seeing it driven by those those actors that are against we the people they would consolidate much more power and control with what they already have and they would simply refurbish or or reinvent reimagine uh how that interface occurs at the civilian level and they would do so through the cbdc push i think what's happening in the world with the BRICS alliance excuse me and a number of other um nation nation states around the world that are trying to disconnect from the u.s but necessarily aren't necessarily looking to get into BRICS. What we're seeing is a, a push for the de-dollarization and the failure of the dollar anyway. And so you have the remnant on the black hat side, the, de- the deep state side that is seeking to leverage as much as possible that process to attempt to introduce the same conclusive end, which, of course, would be the CBDC and the control of, of um, assets and, and the exchange of commerce and value, right? 
but we have categorical evidence to show that a tremendous portion of the world, starting on January 1, 2024, will not need the U.S. dollar at all. Um, five, I believe four or five of the of the nine largest oil producing companies in the or countries in the world will not be participating in fuel trades with the U.S. dollar exclusively anymore. Um, a couple of those countries have already said that they will no longer supply oil in in a and in, in a currency that is paid for um, or to a country that pays for its oil with a currency that's not asset backed. So that would exclude the USA. Right. And we're a tremendous consumer of oil and natural gas and all these sorts of things, which ties back to that Strait of Hormuz discussion that we were having earlier. Um, what I think we've got going on here, quite frankly, is a need for a new system is seen by both sides as as a as an inevitable end that must occur if we're going to restructure the balance of power in the world. And both sides have sought to do that for a long time. But what we're seeing in the financial space is devastating to the black hats. It's devastating to the U.S. dollar's ability to control. It's devastating to the U.S. military industrial complex's ability to replenish itself. Um, we're seeing the essentially what amounts to the controlled demolition of the dollar in a way that does not exempt the Raytheons, the Lockheeds, the intelligence community, the federal government bureaucracies and agencies. They're all suffering as well in this process. Um, so that leads me to believe that we're having that pushed in a more coordinated alliance fashion, both on the battlefield, uh, which we've seen with Russia and certainly in Africa and even in South America to some degrees, but definitely on the business and the worldwide foreign exchange, commerce and energy markets. Right. And those are being stressed even further uh, in the Middle East and in the Pacific, which we covered earlier. So this process, I think, leads us to a point where we have to decide as we the people as we're living through all of these other events, and I know that that's a lot, right? But we were chosen for this moment. This, this leads us to a point where we have to acknowledge that we have control of how we exchange value because the exchange of value is provided as a standard by God. It's measurable with precious metals in a way that we can assign real value. And then we have an incorruptible system. That means that the exchange of value itself is a godly thing. And we, the people, have sovereign control over that, and we have to have a part to play in that, and we have to be actively involved, hands in the clay, you know, P2P, if you want to use the term, whatever it is. We have to be active in shaping and molding how that looks, how the restructuring, how the reimagining of the banking and loan system in the world in a more balanced, we, the people way actually occurs. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Well, SG, this has been an incredible conversation. I'm not sure, but I have to ask that I touch upon any of I know we covered a lot of topics tonight, but I have a habit, as you pointed out, of touching upon some of your upcoming topics in file 67. So did I did I touch upon them tonight? Anything? You know, um, we did touch a little bit about the expansion of conflict, which is going to occur, I think, before this process is over. We've certainly talked about the operation and the Red Dawn moment here in the United States, which I believe is going to be a necessary cog in the wheel. Um, one of the things I think will be very fascinating for File 67, as long as I can make sure that to, to double check and backtrace the research, which is what I'm trying to do now, is the topic of Atlantis, which is going to be a fantastic discussion. Ooh. Wow. I look forward to that one. Hopefully that's going to be out soon, but it's, it's always worth the wait. You're, you're absolutely incredible. So thank you so much for your time, your energy. I, I, everybody out there, I think will agree with me. You're incredibly articulate, incredibly well-informed. And when you come on the show, it's really, really helpful to everybody out there putting the pieces together, providing so much clarity as you always do. So I'd love to get you back on soon. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to leave the audience with tonight? 
I think my final thought would be to remember that this is a spiritual war. Um, this is a spiritual moment that we're all chosen for, and we wouldn't be chosen and placed here by God. We wouldn't be supported by the Holy Spirit that creates you know, worlds and creates all things if we were going to just be put here to lose. Um, that's not going to happen. God has already won this fight. It's been foretold by a number of different schools of religious thought, and these people hate that, and they hate that they can't escape uh, really what amounts to absolution. So stay the course. Remember that we, you know, we the people come out on the other side of this, but it will be a much more successful and peaceful and smooth process if we could even use the term, if we're able to keep our wits about us and not fall into that programming, that MKUltra reactivity mind control that we've been bathed in for generations. Absolutely, my friend. I couldn't agree more. Well, thank you, everybody out there for taking the time to listen. SG Anon, always incredible. Love to get you back on soon. Like I mentioned, I'll be in touch, my friend. Thank you so much. God bless and Godspeed, everybody. Patriot out.